given a divine mandate, and we watched how it, it was set up in such a way, so I want you to teach here, and then I want you to teach here, and then I want you to teach here. <clears throat> and so this divine mandate, uh, and we find it in Acts 1.8, uh, first of all, it says, you're going to be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and then what we get in Jerusalem is Acts 3 and 4, where they're, they're preaching in Jerusalem. Then in all Judea, and then that's where we're going to get uh, the Acts of Stephen in uh, Acts 6 and 7. Let's kind of watch this thing ripple out. And in Samaria, then we're going to get Philip, Acts 8, 5 through 8. And in the uttermost part of the earth, and the, the example of that is going to be Philip and the eunuch that we'll talk about uh, towards the end today. Uh, and, and for them, Ethiopia would be kind of the uttermost part of what they knew. And so you just watch this. We get examples of this early preaching, because it's just kind of fun to watch this, this first church. It's a little, again, our, the, only, the closest we have is the early days of, of the Latter-day Saint part of the church. And, and learning and then kind of heading out to Samuel uh, Smith heading out on his first little mission with a handful of Book of Mormons and handing those out and then they cross over into Canada and now they've gone international you know and then they're going to just go push out a little bit farther and then push out a little bit farther and uh, Heber the Lord has revealed to me that you should go to England okay now we're going to go and you just watch them slowly growing out here, and we're certainly watching this in the early church. Okay, So with that, uh, here is kind of the example of how it, it started.
I'm always struck as I watch things, uh, you know, again, some of the attacks made on Peter, and Peter the wishy-washy, and Peter the denier, and does that look like Peter the, the wimpy? <laughs> this is a man who assumed the mantle, knew exactly what he was doing, and he didn't always understand the full plan that was being unfolded to him, but he understood what needed to happen here. I just think that's tremendous. Okay. So, let's start with uh, signs and wonders. So, if, why don't we turn to Acts 5. Just a just few uh, weeks. right after uh, Pentecost. So the uh, by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all done in one accord in Solomon's porch. Solomon's porch being where in the temple. Sure. So they're going to come and preach in the same place that the Savior did. Uh, and, and the rest, meaning the rest of the Jews, sometimes the priests, there's no man join himself to them, but the, people but the people magnify them. So the leaders were still having a hard time associating here, obviously, but uh, the people magnified them, and the believers were more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women. Now watch what happens. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Then there came multitude out of the cities round unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits. And then look at this. And they were healed, every one. Okay, so we're watching this beautiful expansion out of, of the gospel. Now, let me come back for a second here. Um, when... We're a church that believes a lot in kind of the laying on of hands and ordinances and things like that. How would they be healed by simply the shadow of Peter crossing over them? Their faith. Their faith. Okay. Wouldn't it really be the Spirit? Yeah, and the Spirit is going to be the one that's going to do that. Do we have any instances even in uh, modern times of 
healings that are happening, not necessarily by laying on of hands, but just by faith in some means? Okay. Yeah. What, what was the story with Joseph's handkerchief? By the way, I've seen this handkerchief. It's a very large red one. It's about like this. Cholera. Yeah, we got this great wave in Nauvoo. I mean, if you've ever been to to Nauvoo and you've been to the um, the, the original Smith um, homestead, right there on the banks of the Mississippi, and there's a long sloping grass down to the the river, and we have that moment where everybody's sick, and Joseph's sick, and his family's sick, and they're in the house, but they're just bringing people and leaving them on that sloping lawn all the way down to. The Mississippi and everybody just laying around the house sick. And there's a point that Joseph goes, that's enough. We, we've had enough of this. And he rises up and heals his household. And then he starts healing people that are lying there on the, on the, the front yard of the household. And then there is. There's people on the other side of the river. And he's going to give Heber C. a large red handkerchief. And they just go mop their brow. Well, that's not laying on of hands. But you just get this sense of how does that work? Well, it's activating our faith. And sometimes we don't know what the mechanism of faith is that, that activates in somebody that's going to create the miracle. Okay? Um, when, when we give priesthood blessing, yeah? Faith on Joseph it was faith on Joseph Smith's part. He, he wouldn't have given the handkerchief if he didn't know that that was going to have a, an effect. Yeah? No laying on of hands there with, with the woman touching the hem of the garment. So what happens in a case like that? It activates the faith. So is it the priesthood that's, that's healing at that point or is it the faith? Yeah. Yeah. One of the uh, one of the choice uh, experiences that, that I've had, I, I've mentioned a little bit before that uh, a few years ago in conjunction with some of the, the writings that I did, I, I was in a banquet in Salt Lake, uh, top of the church office building, Elder Bednar came and spoke to those of us who had, who were, had authored books that year. And uh, I mentioned there was a lot of wonderful things that he said. But I remember right at the end of his address, he looked out at us and he said, um, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, I turn the key in your behalf to open you up to be able to share and publish the gospel. And I remember sitting there just kind of being, I felt 
the outward manifestation of that what he was saying and it wasn't just that sounds nice and maybe that will be helpful but almost a tangible uh, hitting me as he's as he's expressing those words and and with, by, but again his faith by the power of his the priesthood keys that he holds but a blessing going out that was going to affect uh, all of us sitting in that room and there are about a hundred of us okay so we have those experiences do we not and and that is, and and we I, I think it's silly for us to kind of try and limit somehow how this might work and how this might benefit us. Okay. Any other reactions to that? Yeah. church not to kind of get into these too much because because uh, for instance the Catholic church is really big on what they call the relics we want relics part of the cross the bones of a saint you know and and that they're, they're, these relics uh, the shroud of Turin are going to have some kind of power that's going to uh, to give extraordinary strength to people in an object. And and we have been so much around, we don't believe in relics, you know, all of that, but there's still, um, there, there is plenty of information about the fact that in the early days of the church, uh, how, do we, how do we kind of activate the faith? Uh, and one of the ways that they would do that with, uh, that there's pretty good evidence that suggests that Oliver Cowdery, uh, had a rod. It was a walking cane. Uh, and if you go into the Joseph Smith, the the uh, Community of Christ uh, Museum, there are several walking canes uh, in there. Uh, Emma had several made, and what they would do with these walking canes is that they would. There was a there was a top on there that they'd open up and and when they were preparing Joseph Smith and Hiram's body for burial, they actually went through and clipped off little bits of his hair, which was a tradition back then just to have a lock of somebody's hair and you put it in a locket or, and wear it and stuff like that. Well, in this case, they were taking little bits of his hair and putting them in the walking cane and putting that in there with a belief that it would have some kind of inherent power. Uh, to heal and do those kind of things if you had one of those canes. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Much more 
paraphrasing the story than the movie is actually. But he talked about how he and his um, companion had been um, kidnapped by gorillas. I think they were somewhere in South America. And when they got up, they got one his companion got shot, and they had to walk to <coughs> in the, through the jungle uh, to a truck, and his companion was bleeding profusely from this wound that he had, and they were both handcuffed because. The police came to get the gorillas, but they didn't know who the missionaries were and who the gorillas were, so everyone was arrested. Lovely. Because it was dark at night. And so as they were walking, being handcuffed, he said, I bless my companion as we walked, that he would do the work, that he would be blessed, and that he would be able to make it home. And he said, as we got to the truck, he said, my companion literally leaped into the truck. By the time they got to the hospital, he had like only two or three pints of blood left in his whole body. He was, and they couldn't believe he was still alive. So I mean, there you have a blessing wow. given without any touch. Without being touched at all, yeah, yeah. I think a, a lot of things like uh, this that have happened to people, miraculous things that have happened to people, um, I think that they kind of fall in, into the same uh, uh, thing as maybe a paper of a blessing does. Mm -hmm where it's personal to that person. And we know that there are miracles that have happened to, to people that are out of the ordinary or out of the standard. And, uh, and with patriarchal blessings, things can be proclaimed to a person that are out of the ordinary. They're not necessarily preached from the pulpit. They're not yeah. necessarily what we consider doctrine. But they happen, and there's special blessings for that person. But we can't necessarily say this will happen to everyone. Right. If you do A, B, and C, this will happen. But they're personal, and they happen. They do happen. They do. And, and I don't think we should limit them, you know, as to how this process works. Yeah, that's Well, I was just thinking that um, the creation is a perfect example of the power of faith. Oh. Because it was the spoken word. Yes. Made by faith, and the spoken word of the Savior created everything without touching anything. He said, "Let there be light." And 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 the elements obeyed yeah. from a distance. So. Great point. And in fact, in 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 uh, uh, lectures on faith, Joseph Smith said it was by faith that the worlds were created. It was by his faith. Okay. Great point. All right. So here's what's going to happen. So now all of these amazing things are happening. We talked last time, remember, that the New York Times was saying after the death of the prophet, thus endeth Mormonism. Well, this is the, the uh, Sadducees and the Pharisees are really hoping that with the death of the Savior, that that's going to wipe out this Christianity sect. Really want that to happen, but it's not happening. Um, and it says, uh, so, so look at what happens here. 17. Uh, the high priest rose up and they're with them. They were filled with indignation. They lay their hands on the apostles and put them into the common prison. Lock them up. Shut them up. Okay? And, and, and the, you know, there are a couple of points in here where you just got to smile. If you just see the situation for what it is, it just seems so human and so comical. Uh, and this is one of those. Uh, they laid their hands on the apostles, put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and then gives them a, uh, an, an item of direction. And come back to here in a second. 
uh, go, stand, speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. That's an interesting phrase here. The, the Lord, the, this angel is saying to them, okay, I'm going to let you out. Go preach. But what, what's he want them to preach? All the words of this life. Why would, he, why would the angel say that? Odd phrase. All the words of this life. Or could you say it, maybe if you put it in a little bit different language, you might get it. Yeah. Yes. In 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth life, the flesh profiteth nothing, the words which I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Go speak unto them the words that bring life. What life? Eternal lives. Okay. So go speak to them. This is reality. This is life. But it is also life infusing. It is eternal life giving. It is the ones that will enliven you. Fill you. Wake you up. And bring you where you need to be. That is life. Go speak to them the words of life. Bring life to them. Isn't that great? Which in, in essence is what we do when we're teaching our kids. We're teaching our Sunday school classes. We're teaching the words of life. The real life, not the false life of the world, not mortality, but the real life. That's what we're teaching. Now, so here, so go speak the words of this life. And they heard that, and they entered into the temple early and taught. Okay, so the, the angel lets them, they get thrown in prison. They spend the night, angel lets them out. First thing in the morning, where are they? Back in the temple, preaching. Okay. When they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together and all the senate, okay, and sent to the prison to have them brought forth. Okay, now we've assembled everybody first thing in the morning, go get the prisoners. Okay. And the officers came, 22, and found them not in prison. Uh, they're gone. Really? Where are they? Well, I don't know. 23, the prison, truly found, we shut with all safety, and the keeper standing before the doors, but when we had opened, we found no man within. Well, who's guarding it? Well, they're still there. Did you unlock? No, it wasn't unlocked all night long. So they're still there, the gate's still locked. Well, where are they? They're not there. Well, how did that happen? We don't know. So there is kind of a miraculous thing. It's not just like the angel just let them out. He also somehow got them past the bars and the sentries and got them out. And so they're, they're staring at an open, where are they? I don't know. Okay. And then, now the high priest and the captain, the chief priest heard these things. They doubted where this would grow. Oh my gosh, they're going to find out about this one. Oh. <laughs> Let's try and keep this one quiet. And then, <laughs> this is the one that made me smile. Uh, then one came and told him, saying, um, you know, the, the men you put in prison, uh, they're standing in the temple and teaching the people. Where are they? I don't know. They're back teaching. <laughs> really? Yeah. We found them. Where are they? Well, they're teaching. Okay. 
Then the captain of the officers brought them without violence, and for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. So they're afraid to attack these because this thing was. And there's several times with the Savior. This is a. This is that Peter is doing exactly what the Savior did. That they started to fear the people because people were now coming from all over Judea and bringing their people and just. If Peter's shadow passes them, they're being healed. There are people like the guy we saw in the video leaping around saying, I was lame and now I'm walking. I had leprosy and now I had this disturbing spirit and now I'm seeing... And they're surrounded and these people are shouting praises to these men. If they're going to come and attack Peter and John in the temple, they may get stoned themselves. So they're going to do it without violence. Meaning, uh, would you please come with us? Sure, you're going to put us in prison again? How'd that that work out last time? Okay, you want to put us in prison, you know, we'll be preaching by morning. But okay, we're coming with you. Um, Let's say should be stoned. And they brought them and sent them for the council and the high priest asked them, didn't we command you not to teach this thing? Yep, you have, and then listen to this, you have filled... Jerusalem with your doctrine. You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Which is the doctrine of Christ. The, the, the doctrine. And they were specifically to be witnesses of what? Christ. And specifically what about Christ? That he was born and, and resurrected. Remember, this, this is the thing that, they're, that they were specifically told to witness to. That you crucified him, but he lives again. Why? Because we saw him. We spent the last 40 days with him. He lives. And it was this witness that he lives, and we are eyewitnesses to his glory, and not followers of divinely uh, devised fables, as Peter will call it. He lives. And that's what they're filling Jerusalem with. This... Jesus is resurrected. Okay? So that's why the response is, you have filled Jerusalem with his doctrine and what? And tend to bring this man's blood on us. You're going to get us in trouble. That's the problem. And Peter the wishy-washy said, we, we ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hung on a tree. Uh, he's exalted. 32, we are witnesses of these things. And, now listen closely. Remember the law of witnesses. The law of witnesses is we generally require at least two witnesses, at least, and he's going to say, there are, you have two witnesses. Number one, you have us. And we are saying, we, there, we were there, we saw him, we touched the wounds, we felt his side, we have spent the last 40 days with him. He lives. You have that witness, number one. What's the other witness? You have, and so also is the Holy Ghost. When we're trying to preach to somebody and we're saying to them, for instance, we have, we have proof 
that Joseph Smith is a prophet. Let's give them two witnesses. Number one is the witness of the Book of Mormon. That's true. Do they have a second witness? Oh, yes. A witness the of the Holy, Ghost. the Holy Ghost. That's two witnesses. And always, 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 with everything we're going to talk about, there is the witness of what people have seen and heard and experienced and the, and the witnessing of the Holy Ghost to back that up. What happens on a fast and testimony meeting when people get up and they bear witness of things that have happened in their life? I know it's true. You have my witness that I believe that Jesus Christ lives. That's one. Where's the other one? It's the Holy Ghost. As we're sitting there bearing witness to us that says what they just said was true. That's the second one. And, and it, it always works this way. Okay? So that's what... He's saying, we are witnesses of these things, and so also is the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to those that obey Him, not those that hang Him on a tree. Okay? And, and by the way, whenever that's... Look at 33. And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Okay? It does cut them to the heart. Um, I did something this, this week that I'm, I'm still kind of repenting of and this is like my public confession uh, I did share it last night as well but uh, I've got a, a guy on Facebook that's kind of been in the church and he's really working hard to get out of the church um, and, and he posted a comment after the posting of the new church's essay and he said uh, finally now maybe the church will rid itself of the cult of Joseph Smith and I looked at it and immediately, and I found myself, and I thought about it all night. And then I got up because I kept having this old Arab proverb rolling around in my head. And I got up the next morning and I, and I, and I quoted the Arab proverb. And it says, despite the barking of the dogs, the caravan moves on. Yeah. <laughs> I probably need to remember that. Kevin, yeah. I think the Community of Christ Church has done exactly that, and now they have nothing of substance. And on the Community of Christ, the old reorganized Church of Jesus Christ, if you go onto their website, try and find Joseph Smith in the Book of Mormon on the website, and you're going to have to drill down about eight or nine times to finally find that. It's pretty. It's pretty deeply hidden. Okay. I, yeah. got friend, I got a friend like that too. I saw him just yesterday. He, uh, the Church of Joseph Smith of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, yeah. They just don't. They, they don't get it. So anyway, so they're cut to the heart. They took counsel. Now, this is the, the, there's a wonderful point that comes out of here, and, and then we need to kind of move on with this. Uh, now, in 34, there stood up one in the council, a Pharisee named uh, Gal uh, Gamaliel. He is actually uh, the Apostle Paul's mentor. This is the one that Apostle Paul uh, saw, learned at his feet. Okay? And he's a doctor of the law. He had a reputation among the people. Josephus says that he had a great reputation, that he was really well known. And he's going to get up and he's going to... And had, no, had a reputation. He's going to command all the apostles. Set them aside a little space. Then he's going to say, you men of Israel, take heed. What you intend to do touching these men. Be careful. 
And then he's going to go through, there are other people that have come up, and they, these cults that have shown up, and they have never lasted very long. They come up, they, they stir people up for a while, and then they just implode on their own dumbness. And he's going to give you, remember, remember Judas of Galileo, remember Thaddeus, and then, and then he's going to say, 38, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this council, and listen closely, because I, I love this and I would even recommend this to the world around us. Okay? For if this council or this work be of men, it will come to naught. If this is a man-filled thing, it will fall apart on its own problems. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found even to fight against God. That's, that's beautiful logic. If this is of man, it'll collapse. If this is of God, you're in trouble. Leave it alone. Choose your battle. We've seen that in our own history. When I, I think it was at Lorenzo Yeah. One of the things we may not be aware of in the early day after Joseph Smith's death, uh, one of the more vexing groups that, that really gave us a hard time. Well, there, there, there were two groups that really gave us the hardest time. Uh, number one, after the death of Joseph, was Sidney Rigdon. Sidney Rigdon rolls back into town. And you remember that Sidney Rigdon was putting together a church based on the fact that he was supposed to be the guardian of the church. That Joseph would always be the prophet, and he's now the guardian. And Sidney had a thing going, and he actually took a number of people with him from Nauvoo, and they went back to Pennsylvania, and they were waiting for the kind of the rapture. And at a certain point, they would wait, and then they would jump. <laughs> that somewhere in here, one of these jumps would just keep on going. <laughs> okay. Well, that kind of fell apart. Um, the other one was uh, James Strange, the Strange Eyes. And he gave us the probably the, we had probably had more problems with James Strange in the fact that uh, Strange showed up in March of 1844, and after the death of Joseph Smith, he started having revelations, and people wanted to hear the revelations. And he pulled in William Law, and he pulled in. Uh, for a while, William Smith, Joseph's brother, and they ended up that they ended up going up into Voorhees, Wisconsin, and taking a large amount of people. And even we may not even be aware of this, as the saints were making the march from Nauvoo all the way over to uh, Winter Quarters, they kept getting these revelations from James Strange, and people were actually leaving Winter Quarters and leaving along the way to go up and join him in Wisconsin. Uh, and and it was it was a kind of a vexing thing for quite a while here, until ultimately he then decided to start taking plural wives, and a couple of, of his followers killed him, and then it just kind of fell apart. But there was this there sometimes these these man-made things last for a while, and the best thing we can do is let them alone. Just you know, just keep stay in the caravan, stay in the caravan, and keep moving.
for the 24th of July parade. And, and we're going to, you know, we're going to have the, celebrate the pioneers. Here, here comes the wagon with all the guys that had been in prison and they're all in their black and white stripe of things and they're just waving. And, and, and so the, it's like our, our prison garb says we were glad to count shame, you know, following the prophet. And, and, we're, and we're proud that we were in jail for this, okay? All right. Okay, so now let's look at Acts 6.1. And, and I look at this a little bit as this is, because here, come, here comes the problem. And it is the growing pains of a growing church. And it is not unlike uh, what we see. Uh, we, had a, we had a fun experience. Uh, yes, it wasn't a really big deal, but we had a, we had a beautiful talk in, in sacrament meeting um, yesterday, from a very passionate man, great talk. Okay, and but he was very clear cut and explained exactly the way he felt things ought to be. And he's kind of coming out of a southern tradition, and he's just pretty plain spoken. Here's where it is. Well, the fun part is is that we had some uh, African American uh, investigators at the back of the chapel, and he's got them going. And as he's going away, they're they're in the back going. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And, and I thought about it, and I thought for a second, um, what's wrong with that? Oh. But w- w- why do we find that as odd? Because we don't do it. Because we don't do it. Why don't we do it? 
It's tradition. It's our culture. Do you think if we went to a... Did you ever see that in New York, President? I mean, you get ones with a greater African-American population. Were they... Did they kind of shift to our culture? Or? Mostly shift to our culture. Okay. I remember a couple times, with it, not on Sunday, where that took Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would think, I guess I'm surprised it doesn't happen more because there's a certain sense where we're saying bring your culture, you know, with you. Yeah. We saw it in St. Thomas on a vacation trip to Pasadena one evening where there was a lot of... Yeah! Isn't that fun? You know, I, I look at that, I mean, we're, we're still, we were, we, we were smiling a little bit um, at the, uh, the, the funeral that we were at a week ago with uh, Diana Denton's uh, mother, uh, where the, they didn't completely understand, but they were from New Orleans, or from Louisiana originally, and so uh, they had hired uh, three uh, musicians to come and play. And it was, you know, they came, marched the procession into the chapel, you know, and I, wa I was watching a member of the state presidency going, nobody let us know this was coming. And you know, they, you know, they let them in, two trumpets, bass sax, stuff. And, and then they, and then we had a, and most of the family was non-member, and it was a beautiful funeral. I mean, it was just sweet stuff and everything. And then at the end of that, it was saints, as the saints go marching in, and as they come lead us out of the chapel and out into the outside, and I've got a video that I posted on Facebook of that outside of that, and 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 you take that, and it's like, okay, we won't do that in the chapel, but what happened outside the chapel was magical. These guys were playing, and everybody was just kind of celebrating this woman's life, and I thought they're bringing their culture. Well, somewhere in here. You hope that maybe as we're reaching out as an international church that we don't completely eliminate the beautiful cultures that people have. And how we blend that into an international church is a challenge. Yeah. Right, right, right. It's the way we do it in Salt Lake. Well, yeah, but they're in their country and their culture, it looks as a bank. And so it's kind of like, right, so people have these misunderstandings about what the church is really about, and it's kind of turning them off to the church. And so now they're turning the architecture and the, the creation of the church facilities over to people who are from that country. Isn't that fun? We we on 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 Saturday morning in in Austin uh, the 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 uh, single adult conference I spoke at on Saturday morning we drove by the church that we didn't even recognize it on uh, on B Cave Road and we've been to that one it looks like something it looks like a mission out of San Diego red stucco I mean just the whole thing I had to post a picture a beautiful chapel. But not what you're expecting, and it seems to reflect more of that. Okay. By the way, uh, in mentioning uh, Elder Foster, you want to mention what he said about uh, President Monson? I think that would be 
I don't think that was private knowledge, was it? Feet, feet are numb, can't walk. Pray for President Monson and for President and Elder Scott. Elder Scott's, yeah, in rough shape. Okay. And how many are over 90? But anyway, that's a, there's just a diversity that, that we're watching. Did, did you gain a lot from the, uh, from the people that were speaking in their own language in conference? Got a chance, if you listen to the translation, it's like these are really eloquent speakers that we don't always get when they're speaking. They're trying to speak English, and we and we miss just how much they could be uh, what they're really trying to tell us. Okay, all right. So all of that is a backdrop to this. Okay, so in those days when the number of disciples were multiplied, uh, and remember Jerusalem was a if you are if you're a Jew, and it doesn't matter whether you're in Thessalonia or whether you're in Alexandria or whether you're in. Ethiopia, or whether you're in Rome, where are you going? To Jerusalem. Eventually you're going to want to go back through Jerusalem for Passover uh, and all these. So, so Jerusalem is very much an international city uh, then, even as it, and now, and more so now. Okay? But still, all these Jews are coming in from all over. That's why it is that when Pentecost comes, and, and they're speaking in tongues. They're speaking in so many tongues. Because it's this international flavor of diversity all pouring through the city. Okay? Now, it would make sense then that as they're converting Christians, who are they, who, who's joining the church? Gentiles. Gentiles from all over the world. The known world. They're all there. Okay? So, uh, in those days, the number of disciples was multiplied... There arose a murmuring in the Grecians. These are those that are from Greece or, or, or that they have Greek backgrounds and they have joined the church uh, in uh, somewhere else. But they, they speak Greek. They are Greek by uh, uh, ancestry. But they're Jews. But, and they're just called Grecians, Okay. Grecians, and there arose a murmur in the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily menstruation. Okay? What's the problem here? They're not getting as much stuff as... The, the belief is, is that those that aren't Hebrew aren't getting as much as those... The, the Hebrews are getting more than everybody else. Whether or not it was true, there's favoritism going on. We get this mix going on uh, that, you know, those, those in the church who are converts maybe don't go quite as much as those of us with pioneer ancestry. We kind of know more. And so, you know, you get that sense of, is this fair? Are we treating everybody equally? 
Okay, because this is where you start to get the clash of cultures. Okay, now twelve calls the multitude together, and they say it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. We can't get to everybody. So, so there's the sense: are, are they demeaning people who serve tables? No. What are they saying? It's not their calling. Uh, had a conversation with a with a bishop uh, this past week, and and he's busy trying to take care of everything. He couldn't get somebody to do it, so he's going to run down to the store and buy stuff for him. And he just trying he's a newer bishop and trying to do his best. And had to say, "And bishop, you can't be serving tables. There are a lot of people that can serve tables. Serving tables is not hard. Delegate, delegate, delegate." There are specific spiritual gifts and responsibilities and callings that you have. Let others serve tables. Let them have the joy of serving. Okay? Alright. So don't you're not going to serve tables, so they're going to find uh, seven men of honest report. We ourselves, verse 4, will continually go to prayer and minister the word. That pleases everybody. And then they're going to choose this remarkable man by the name of Stephen. Yeah. And Stephen is, uh, he is uh, a man of faith, the Holy Ghost. And then here's the others that are called uh, as far away as Antioch, uh, Turkey. I mean, they're coming from all over. Okay? And these are the, and we would call these now the calling of the 70s. Sure. So there's seven of them. Now they're going to increase. Now, verse 9 then. There arose certain of the synagogue, which is the synagogue of the Libertines. These are former slaves who have now been freed, and they have their synagogue, and they're pretty orthodox. Okay? And so Stephen's going to come and preach, uh, and they were not, verse 10, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. And then they did what they always do. They suborned men uh, and, and had said that we heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses. In other words, we're going to get people to come and lie. We can't, we can't battle the truth, so the only way that we can get it is that we're going to lie. 13, set up false witnesses. Now, this is 14. This is the first place that we start to get an indication. And here, and this is the battle of the entire New Testament. Uh... And, and it's a fascinating battle. Um, and it says, here's the problem that we're, we're hearing this Stephen guy say. Here's the problem. We heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, meaning Jerusalem. It will fall. But here's but it's one thing to predict that. But it's another thing because Jerusalem has fallen in the past. Here's the bigger problem. And shall change the customs which Moses gave us. That's the big problem. What might he be talking about here? What customs is he talking about changing? Sacrifices. Maybe circumcision. Dietary stuff, what you do on the Sabbath. All of which, are those Moses? Are those Moses? No, they, we have what Moses taught, and then there's all the Pharisaical interpretation 
described, that's going to describe, keep the Sabbath day holy. We'll tell you what that means. Mm-hmm. That's what the Savior was always fighting against. Moses said this, you guys have interpreted it as this. And I will battle that, but I will back Moses. So that, therein lies the battle. Yeah. Yes. Here's where our authority lies. Our authority lies in doing this. If you attack what we're saying, you're attacking us. Okay? Now, Stephen, what we're going to get here, if you look over verse 7, Stephen does this interesting thing. Uh, and, and I'm not going to take time to do all of this. But, but Stephen's response to that is, Moses, huh? Well, let me give you a history lesson. <laughs> Let me tell you about Moses. And all of Acts 7 is a, his, it's a, it's a brief history of Abraham to Moses, to Jesus. And he's going to, let me teach you. And it's, it's obvious, it's beautifully done. Um, and he's going to say, uh, I'm going to tell you about Abraham, uh, verse 8. Uh, covenant circumcision, Abraham and Isaac, the patriarch. He's going to go on and on, and 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 somewhere in here, he's also in in uh, in giving this history. Uh, Eighteen, another king arose which knew not Joseph. The same dealt with our kindred. Uh, then look at this, verse twenty. In which time Moses was born. And was exceedingly fair. Do we have that in Exodus? No. What he's going to start doing, he's going to start throwing in some details about Moses that we do not have in the Old Testament. Why is that important? They had more information. It's one of those. It's one of those little reminders that says. The Bible is not complete. And if you're going to base everything you're doing on the Bible, the Bible has missing pieces to it. Okay? He was exceedingly fair. Uh, 21, he's cast out. Uh, Moses from the wisdom of the Egyptians. Sounds a little bit like Nephi. 23, when he was fully 40 years old, he came to his heart to visit the brethren. His brethren, the children of Israel. So in other words, he's 40 years old. He knows who he is, even as a, as a son of Pharaoh. He knows who he is. I'm a Hebrew. And he's known it all along. When he's 40, he decides to start visiting his people. He's not abdicating his role. But he's, I'm going to be... Uh, I'm going to visit his brethren of Israel. Uh, of Israel. Then he kills the Egyptian... They cast him out. Uh, Then they're going to say, the Hebrews are going to say to him, who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Verse 27. (coughs) See, we get all of these stories. Now here's the other one that we only have here. We don't have it in the Old Testament. Look at verse 30. And and Stephen telling the story to to the Sanhedrin. He throws in another element that we don't have. 
When 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai a angel of the Lord in the flame of fire in a bush. Was he simply looking at a bush on fire? No. He had an angelic visitation, probably the Savior, or at least an angel speaking for the Savior, and the flame was around him. It was This is not about a burning bush. Any more than when Joseph is talking about the, the seeing the vision coming into the, the grove of trees in the first vision, and he sees a flame of fire coming down and, and, and watching it, and it, there's a time lapse thing. He sees it coming, it's getting closer, it's getting closer, it gets to the top of the trees, and it looks like fire, but he says in one of the versions, I was surprised that the trees weren't consumed. That he's wrapped in eternal burnings, celestial burnings. And that's what Stephen is explaining. This is Moses. Okay? It's just there's a lot of little elements in here that is additional knowledge that we don't have anywhere else. Okay? All right. Um, ultimately he's going to say this is that this is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel oh, you, you brought up Moses you're attacking me for changing the customs of Moses let me quote Moses a little okay you mean that Moses which said unto the children of Israel a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me him shall ye hear do we have a parallel to this in the Book of Mormon? This is a Bendedai. Why don't you see? This is a Bendedai. In the previous thing, it says that his his face shone. Okay, this is a Bendedai. It's that kind of. Oh, you're going to bring up scripture. Let me explain scripture, and it has the same result. By the way, it ends in his death. So he's going to say, yeah, that same Moses said there was a prophet coming. And that, that's going to be Jesus. Uh, anyway, let me just hop ahead here. Then, 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked steadfastly into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand. And said, what? Behold, I see the heavens opened. <coughs> and then they stone him. Now, all this to get to this point. What was Stephen's great sin? What was the thing that, that uh, condemned him the most? What was his sin? seemed like he had modern revelation at that time. Mm -hmm. And that was different than the, what they had studied. Okay, he did. He had modern revelation, but as far as they were concerned, what was his great sin? What did he do wrong? What, did, what brought the ire and the stoning? The truth. The truth. What was the truth? Oh, okay. Yes. And he's putting all of that together, and that's riling him up. That, but there's one more piece that brought his condemnation and brought his death. He was, and they were getting it. But Christ is still alive. 
And how did he know? He saw him. There's the sin. I see. I see him. I bear witness that I see him. It, all of those things led up to hypocrisy and, under, and opening up the scriptures that all cut to their heart. That drove the Sanhedrin nuts. And they didn't always know what to do that. But the one that would result in his death is that statement. I see. I am a witness. Face to face, I see him. And that's the problem. When they talk about Joseph Smith giving several different versions of the first vision, people forget the fact that when that boy, that young boy, walked out of the grove, and he goes and he talks to his mom about it, and then the next day he's going to go into the village of Palmyra, and he's going to go to Reverend Lane, who had heard preach the sermon on, on James 1.5. What did he tell Reverend Lane? I saw him. And nothing brings the ire of those that would attack. Like It's not just to talk about him and let's logically discuss stuff. It is I have a personal witness. I saw him. To the, to the same extent, those that are attacking the church, and, and whether they be atheists or former members or whoever... What drives them most nuts when, when we bear our testimony? What words? I know. Because the response is, How can you, know? you can't know. No, I know. The Spirit has filled me. Now, you see, the Spirit is like this. It's like emotion, and it goes through the amygdala in your brain, and we can actually see the Spirit because we can do like an MRI and look at the, at the amygdala, and really the Spirit is just a brain thing. And it's just emotion. Yes. Yes. And see, I think to that extent, but that's, that, that's what we share in common with them, though. Because even when I talk to people and they struggle, they say, the one thing that really drives me nuts is when Mormons say they know. Well, they can't know. Had a friend of mine, even at BYU, is in the process of leaving the church. And he says, How, you can't really know. And I said, I do know. It's a witness that's born here. Well, that's just emotion. No. Uh, I have an emotional reaction to what I know. But what I know, I know. And, and that's, that's the truth. And I'm a witness to what I know. You know, I think that that's probably why the Lord does You know, in our, our brain, our hypothalamus in the scriptures to say that we know, he always goes to the heart. Yes. Which the heart has nothing to do right. with emotions or anything. No, it's, it's true. Know here. I, the Lord, require the hearts of men... And a willing mind. 
Because true conviction happens in our heart. It's the center of our desires, but it's where we have knowledge. We know that we love people. We know that something is true. We know. Well, for those who doubt that you don't know, and they believe in the Bible, in First James verse 5, doesn't, isn't that sort of contradictory? Well, that we can know. Well, oh, it's contradictory for them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But if I'm struggling with the Bible in general, well, or if I'm struggling, what do I know? I know that if if I don't believe in authority, I believe that the Bible is true and it is sola scriptura, the the authorities in the in the Bible. But that's why for us to walk in and go, I know that the Book of Mormon is true. Ah, well, that doesn't fit with this idea of what the Bible is and the way things are supposed to be. And the knowledge of what we know is a killer. And, and it drives people nuts. Yeah, and it cuts them to the heart. And just like the Apostle's witness, their, their witness isn't to say that you have to see him to know right. that he lives. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And isn't that the beautiful part about that? And in some ways, it's, uh, the beautiful part is that they don't tell us that they've seen him. Because, right, because, and in fact, remember uh, Bruce R. McConkie's last testimony. And he said, in a coming day, I will kneel at his feet and I will feel the wounds. But I will not know any more then than I know now. That he's true. That he's a witness of him. Well, that's, that's pretty powerful. That means we can have the same witness that he had. And, but when we say, I see, when we say, I know, that is going to be a problem for the world. Yeah. As a, um, a young adult, you the age of 23, studying the gospel, um, and, and believing in a Catholic church, the thing that, that really struck me was Jesus' opinion. And when he said that, I know what I know. Yeah. I, saw it. I cannot deny it. Yeah. God knows that I saw it. Right. And, and to me, that was really profound. I thought, if that were to happen to me, you know, I would have to say the same thing because you can't and at that point, and when that happens, when you get that witness, again, you got two witnesses, right? And maybe we'll finish with this. I have the witness of a prophet, whether it's Stephen or Joseph Smith, that says, I see, I saw him. And then we have our own witness in our heart saying, that is true. And now we have a, we, we have a witness from two places saying what is true. Well, that's, that's what we base what we do on. That's why ultimately, let me just finish with this. At the end of the day, we know what we know. And trying to somehow teach youth, other members, that they know more than they know they know. But we have to be able to point out to them what it is that they're feeling. But to the, what they're feeling, do we then add the second witness, which is us. I know that what you're feeling is the Holy Ghost. I know that what you're feeling is telling you that this is true. And I know what I know. That's why it's fascinating to me that 
when we talk about the unpardonable sin, the unpardonable sin is not blasphemy against Jesus. It's blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Why the Holy Ghost? Because it has entered into us, it's gone to our very heart, and we know it. That's why Joseph Smith said, the, part, the, the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is like declaring that you see the sun at noonday and then pretending you don't see it. It's that kind of knowledge. What we know, we know. We have a stronger position than we have any idea if we will just trust that. I pray that we can do that this week as we go forward and share that testimony. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we could be here this day. We're thankful that we have the gospel and the teachings of truth that fill our hearts and our minds. We're grateful that we've had this opportunity to discuss the scriptures and to hear of the testimony of Stephen and the things that he knew, the things that he stood for, and the things that he testified of. Please help us to open our hearts to that and to embrace it. Please Watch over us and help us in all that we're doing. And help us to be examples of the light of Christ. And we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right,